All right, we are in Acts chapter 13. And uh, last time, um, I guess what I would title the, the, the teaching that I did was uh, Creating Gospel Opportunities. Uh, essentially, um, we saw, uh, starting in, in verse 26 is kind of where we, we, uh, we're going to pick up, but Paul and Barnabas had made their way to Cyprus, and then they left Cyprus to go to um, a, uh, a place called Perga. Um, in an area called Pamphylia in Turkey. Uh, once they, they landed there, they made their way up to Antioch. And we talked a little bit about um, the, the journey there, and there's a couple different routes that they could have taken. One would have been uh, long and roundabout, maybe more likely that they took the direct route, which would have been harder, but they would have had places to stop along the way because uh, there was little Jewish settlements. But they made their way to Antioch, uh, a different Antioch, um, than the Antioch we saw before, um, but they are kind of being led by the Spirit, but going where they feel is best from practical purposes. So practically, they're thinking, where do we head? And then they feel confirmed by the Holy Spirit to make it there. And so they stopped um, first in a port, you know, in in, uh, in Paphos, uh, which was where um, the uh, proconsul in Cyprus had an estate. Um, we've found that from archaeological finds uh, that they stopped there, and then they moved to a city with a large Jewish population, which was on a crossroads, um, but it didn't have very much other than that. So it would be a good place to maybe set up a base camp um, and then move on from there. While they were in that city, they went to a synagogue, which was really the meeting center, and found themselves there on the Sabbath. Um, and there on the Sabbath, they were given opportunity to speak. And so, even though we went through these verses, um, let's pick up in uh, verse 15 and kind of read that, and then we'll see uh, you know, where Paul will go from there. So verse 16 says, So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, said, Men of Israel... And you, here fear, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought uh, to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So that's where we kind of got up to uh, last time. We started, started kind of picking this apart. Um, and so Paul goes through the history of Israel, and really he recounts how God had, um, you know, basically intervened with this people. You know, he chose a people, Israel. He intervened on their behalf, kind of grew them up in Egypt and brought them out. He gave them judges, and he gave them a king. And you see kind of little by little how Paul is taking um, likely what was read earlier that Sabbath morning uh, and kind of expounding on that. 
and he's kind of directing him to uh, really the focal point of what his message is going to be. And so Paul was taking advantage of the opportunity that he was given. He, again, he was in a city with a large Jewish population that was certainly kind of where they decided to go. I mean, you typically end up in a city um, by your own desire and your own means. Um, you're not usually forced to go to a city. Sometimes that happens. But typically we go there for different reasons. And they had on their mind, this is where we want to go. And when they happened to be there, they said, let's go to the synagogue because we are Jewish uh, by race and we have, have a connection to these people and you know, we want to share the gospel. We really, that's our mission is to share Jesus with these people. So let's go to the, the synagogue. And while they were there, it was customary for some teachers uh, that were maybe known in the area uh, or by those in the area to say, hey, do you want to speak? Um, Jesus was given that opportunity in a lot of different places he went to go speak in the synagogues. And so Paul was given that same opportunity. And so far it would be probably a normal um, Sabbath morning maybe message, kind of this is what God was doing in Israel and kind of encouraging them and showing them, you know, how, uh, how this can apply to their lives. And we're going to see then the message start to kind of turn. We start to see that as he starts talking about John the Baptist, who uh, really is like one of the last Old Testament prophets. He's not in the Old Testament, but he's of that uh, lineage because he would point to Jesus Christ. Um, even for our own hearts and our own minds, as we kind of think about uh, what is being said here, you know, every time we, we go through Scripture, and, and, and hopefully I try to make it the goal that when we go through this, we kind of say, I don't want to just look at Scripture and say, like, well, what happened? And through Acts, the book of Acts, we can see, like, what was the history and, and what happened to these people, and then just kind of move on. I, I want to stop and say, what happened? What did they do? And what are the ways that that can really, like, help inform us in how we can live our own history, you know, our own lives, and, and how God can use us in whatever opportunity that we have. And so Paul is given an opportunity here, and I want us to think about the way that we share the gospel and how that happens. You know, last week I kind of, or last time we, we got together, I kind of said, you know, what are, what are the ways that God is using us and our opportunities to influence others? You know, we have all have our own sphere of influences. We all have our own unique family set. No, one, no two people have the same unique family set because of birth order or who you're married to or, you know, whatever it is. And so you have that own, you know, sphere of influence. You have your own job uh, sphere of influence or school or neighborhood or friend circle or whatever it is. We have our own sphere of, of opportunities that we come in contact with. And so what do we do with those opportunities when they arise? We, we first look for them, uh, but we can leverage opportunities that um, make the most sense for us. And for these guys, they were Jewish and, you know, they had now found, you know, Christ had, had sought them out and they became followers of Christ. And now they're wanting to share that with others who are just like them. And so now we're getting moving towards Christ. And that's really where the conversation, even though this is more like a sermon, uh, this is where uh, Paul is directing his, uh, his talk to the group. And so verse 26, he says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him Executed. And so first Paul says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, like he's identifying with them and saying, like, listen, you know, remember, I'm one of you. 
Uh, and so I'm speaking kind of on your behalf. I have the same background. I have the same you know, lineage. But he also adds again, we talked about this last time, um, those among you who fear God. Um, so what is this indicating about who this message is for? These two people. What's that? Okay, so yeah, those who are saved. And so when he talks of the first group as brothers who are sons, uh, sons of the family of Abraham, those would be who? So the, yeah, so those who would be Jewish, who would be uh, circumcised, um, who were born in the family because their parents and their parents' parents and parents' parents go all the way back to Abraham. Um, <laughs> and so he's speaking to them, and that's who... Paul is, and we'll see that a little bit later, you know, from, from which tribe he comes from, uh, not today, but, but uh, later on in Acts. And then he says, those among you who fear God. Now, who are the God-fearers? What's that? Gentiles. So it would be Gentiles, but specifically Gentiles who what? Yeah, so converted Judaism. We talked about that as well. Those who converted Judaism, they just didn't take that next step. They'd probably be those who did not, had not gotten circumcised yet. And we talked about that last time because Paul mentioned that before. Also, Cornelius was a Roman centurion who you can read about earlier in Acts, uh, who kind of has the same description. And so that's those who would normally go to the synagogue to listen to this message, to hear uh, what the, the law and the prophets had to say, um, to speak to them uh, in their lives. And so that's who he's who's indicating his message is for. Right? Um, he's kind of opening his way up to the Gentiles, but, but not quite yet. And so for, for them, the audience would, would be, uh, be receptive in, in who he's trying to reach. Um, <clears throat> who does he say is responsible for the death of Christ? In verse 27. Okay, the Jewish leaders, specifically whom? Not by name, but where, where do they live? Jerusalem. Okay, uh, maybe not. So, um, so, uh, so Paul is speaking to them. Hey, this is my message to you. I have this message of salvation that I want to speak to you. Um, and he starts talking about uh, what happened back in Jerusalem. That I have a message, he says, but I don't want you to follow in the same footsteps. And I'm going to speak about another group, those that are in Jerusalem, those who are the rulers. Um, they did not understand, it says, the utterance of the prophets. And he speaks to that about which, uh, you know, that are read every Sabbath. And so the Jews in Jerusalem and their rulers, who would that indicate, could indicate one of two groups. Think who are the rulers of the Jews? Okay, so it could be the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, it could also be who? What's that? It could be the priests. Okay, so it could be those that are Jewish. It could also be those that are Roman as well. Probably more likely he's he's talking about the Jews that are specifically there um, because he says those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, uh, but all of them that are there are guilty of. Uh, of something. And so what was the first thing that they're guilty of? Okay, yeah, it says he did not recognize him. Uh, you can read that in the, the first chapter of John, right? Um, that basically that Jesus came for his people, but his people did not recognize him, did not see him as who he was. Um, and so who was Jesus? Who, who should they have recognized him as? 
Yeah. The Messiah, and then Paul makes that, that indication that there is going to be through the son of David, which is why he gives a little bit of history lesson, because he's kind of leading up to what, all, what had happened in the history of the, the Jews, right? That God kind of grabbed, a, you know, had a people that they made into a nation, and then he gave them a king, and then eventually there would be a David, and then eventually all the prophets started speaking of uh, somebody who would come in the line of David, often spoke of, of the root of Jesse, the one who came before and would come, come after. Um, and so Paul is going to kind of play upon this and, and kind of refer to some of these things in a little bit. But he didn't recognize that Jesus was the one that was foretold by the prophets. Um, that Jesus, that this Messiah would be a righteous ruler, that he would come as a judge, that he would come to bring peace. And that he would also suffer and die. And so, so Paul is saying that even though every Sabbath the scripture is read, they did not recognize him and even condemned him to death. And so then Paul, though, in verse 28, says, And though they had found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And so he kind of emphasizes their guilt in what was going on, and perhaps even alluding to Isaiah 53, that their Messiah would die um, at the hands of others and would suffer at the hands of others. And so Paul is moving now towards Christ in what he is saying. And so now he's going to emphasize the resurrection in verse 29. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers. So Paul acknowledges the resurrection, and then he gives support for the claim. Uh, What is one of the things that he uses to support the claim of the resurrection? Yeah. Right, so there are there are many witnesses to this fact um, that Jesus uh, died, but Jesus also rose again. Was uh, Paul a witness of Christ? What's that? Not of the resurrection, no, specifically, and not after that forty days. If he if he was, he was so hardened in his heart that he he did not recognize. Uh, Christ or acknowledge Christ as being risen from the dead. So we say, no, not at that time, but when, what was, when was uh, Paul a witness of Christ? On the road to Damascus, right, when he was, he was saved. He was blinded by light, heard the, heard the voice of Jesus Christ. So he never saw Jesus Christ, um, except for maybe a blinding light, but never saw him, just heard him, and so was a witness him in that regard. Can Paul still bring the good news of Christ? Even though he wasn't a physical witness of Christ, can he still be a witness of Christ? Yes, yes. And so for us, right, we are the same, same boat as Paul, right? At some point, God opened up our eyes to who Jesus was. And even though we didn't physically see Jesus Christ, we we're confident not only in the witnesses, but also in the Scripture. And that's where Paul then kind of turns to in supporting the claim. He says, you can go, you know, if you want to go back to Jerusalem, which we are a long way from Jerusalem, uh, but there are many witnesses to that fact, but I'm going to support this claim through other means. And so verse 33, he says, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, 
Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. So, what does Paul use Scripture to support or prove? Well, the first Scripture that he references uh, is Psalm 2. So, back in verse 33, he says, He's fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as it's written in the second Psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. So he says that this applies to Jesus, that Jesus is my son. Um, But it would have also been thought of to apply to all of those who are sons of God. Um, Psalm 2 would have been a a portion of text that would have been memorized by the Jews. So Paul uh, goes to that verse. Right, it's it's almost like if um, you know, growing maybe in in America, if you went to a verse, what would be a verse maybe that you would go to that someone might know? Yeah, John three sixteen. Um, and even if you know somebody doesn't know John three sixteen, like what it means, there are cultural references in different places where people might have seen John three sixteen, or you could just say. Do you know what? Have you ever seen John three sixteen? And someone would say, I guess I've seen it at football games or people holding signs up or on bumper stickers. You know, do you have you do you know what John three sixteen is? And if the answer is no, well, can I tell you? I'm sure, that's like an open door right there for people to be like, sure, yeah. So Paul uses that uh, uh, a portion of scripture that they would have memorized that everyone would have memorized uh, Psalm two because it it speaks of a. Uh, a God as ruler, and so they would have known what these verses are. There's several Psalms that they would have just had memorized, and so he speaks to one of those as something that he can then say, well, this is a reference to Jesus Christ specifically. So it would have started connecting dots for some of them. The next verse, he says, as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, um, and Jesus would have gone to the same set of verses uh, as well. He does that earlier in, in his ministry. Um, he says, I'll give you the... Um, well, sorry, not, not this verse, but he says, I'll give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That's Isaiah 55. Um, it kind of paraphrases that. But he's speaking to Israel that, and, and specifically about the Messiah. That the Messiah is getting the blessings of David. So one, he's saying that you are my son, talking about Jesus, and that I'll give you the blessings of David, that, that this is emphasized in who this Messiah would be. And one of those blessings is what we get to in Psalm 16 that Jesus had referenced. That was the one that, that I was saying, um, which is Psalm 1610. He says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. And Holy One is emphasized in Isaiah 55, verse 5. So as Paul relates Psalm 2 and says, this is a verse that you would have kind of known. And he says, this is talking about Jesus. Isaiah 55, I'll give you the blessings of David. At the end of those verses, in verse 5, he talks about the Holy One. 
And so then, in having their minds of who the Holy One is, Paul then goes to Psalm 16 and reference that and says, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Now, who is speaking at this time? It's David who's speaking about not letting your Holy One see corruption. But what then does Paul say? And this is what Jesus had referred to as well in his ministry. Um, when he says, You will not let your Holy One see corruption, who else, uh, who, you know, has David seen corruption? Yes. Did he die? Yes. yes. Did he Was he raised again? Not that we know of, right? There was nothing where we saw David and saw him you know, rose, risen from the dead. And there's nowhere else in Scripture that said David that that had happened to. And so when Paul is explaining about this Holy One who has been given the blessings of David... Who is this Holy One that David is speaking about, about not seeing corruption? Because whenever you read a psalm, is David speaking about himself, or is David speaking about somebody else? And so Paul is just saying, David is speaking about somebody else, and when he says that his Holy One will not see corruption, that he's speaking about this somebody else who will come in the line of David. Who, I just said, if you want to go back to Jerusalem, you can talk to a bunch of people who saw Jesus raised from the dead. Peter would also quote the same verse in his message at Pentecost. That he would he would refer to the same uh, passage, you know, which is kind of interesting because again, Paul wasn't under that teaching at the time, but they both would go to these verses and go to these psalms that the people would have known and explain to them, hey, listen, the resurrection happened and the resurrection was prophesied to have happened. Because there's still some in the groups that or even debating whether the resurrection would have happened. That is interesting. You know, if you kind of look in church history, there are certain things that people will debate, um, uh, not only in, in the Christian church, but even at the Jewish church at that time. And one of the big things that was debated at that time was, is there even a resurrection? Paul will use this uh, later on in Acts to actually get the Pharisees and the Sadducees to fight each other because the Pharisees believed in a resurrection and the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. And Paul like, kind of throws this you know, question out there. Is the resurrection even happening? Instead of them attacking him, they go and attack each other. But we'll, we'll see that a little bit later. And so Paul is just making the case, like if you're questioning whether the resurrection is, is even talked about in Scripture, that yes that there would be a resurrection, and specifically, this Holy One, who I'm saying is Jesus, has risen from the dead. And so he's kind of explaining these things. Um, we kind of get a different, uh, um, you know, different sort of flavor in, in the preaching. If we kind of want to think back into uh, Peter and the message that he gave to the Jews that were in Jerusalem, what was his message? What was kind of the maybe the tone of that message? Do you guys remember how, how they how the people reacted after Peter was done preaching? Yeah, so, so Peter lays down heavily the guilt, right? And it says, like, you, right? And where Paul says those in Jerusalem were, the, were guilty of crucifying, Peter, when he's in Jerusalem, he's like, you are the ones who are guilty. You are the ones who did this. You are the one who crucified Jesus. 
And rightly so, he plays upon their guilt, and we talked about that you know, several months ago, that they would have been probably still feeling some of the guilt of been there you know, pre- yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. And so Peter says, you are guilty of crucifying Jesus. And that, how do they respond? They respond, well, what do we need to do to be saved? Like they cry out because you know, immediately for that, and we see you know, that 3,000 people are added to the church that day. But this tone, this kind of message is a little, I would say, a little more positive, right? He's not blaming them. He's blaming them in Jerusalem for convicting Jesus. But what Paul is doing here is he's kind of more rationalizing with them. He's using their scripture that they would have read earlier that morning. He would have used scripture that they would have known. He would have started to kind of talk about their history and then try to intersect how, you know, talk about how Jesus intersects um, their Jewish history with some of these unresolved questions and then kind of present them an answer because he says everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now, there's so much that could be talked about, so much that could be explained, but if like somebody came and said, listen, I'm presenting you a message of hope, a message of salvation, you know, these are the things that I'm, I'm giving you freedom, but I don't want you to follow what the prophets have said. What did, what did the prophets say? And this is kind of what he ends with. So what, is, what does he end with? What does he say in verse 45? I'm sorry, 41. Should I be wearing my glasses? Look like a five. Forty-one. You guys, like a lot of silence here. What is what is forty-one end with? I should just start doing that in the future. Throw out random verses. All right. What does he end with in verse forty-one? Yeah. So so this is a what. So we're at the beginning, he says, I'm going to give you a message of hope, a message of freedom, a message of salvation. We call that what? We call it the gospel, right? And we'd call it, you know, we'd say maybe, uh, maybe you know, another church language, I don't know, uh, for better or for worse, maybe like an invitation, right? Like, listen, I'm giving you, I'm, I'm offering you this message, I'm offering you this path, I'm offering you this way, but he gives them what? What's the, what's the opposite? A warning, right? So he gives them a warning. And he, he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. And he adds this warning to the end. You know, look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish. Right? These are strong, strong words coming from the prophet. I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Right? That something is going on here that you completely missed. And he's like, I just, you know, I just want you to know that those in Jerusalem, there's plenty, there's plenty who are responding to the gospel, but there's plenty who have completely missed this message. So it doesn't take long, the message that he gets up and speaks, uh, to speak to the, to, to the group. But in that, again, he says, I'm going to give you a quick history, kind of relating like the verses that we probably talked about this morning, and we kind of talked about that last time, what's maybe are the verses that he spoke of or that, that were read earlier that morning. I'm going to give you this message, and he gets to Jesus, and he says, this is Jesus, who you can find in witnesses, who Scripture tells you about, and he gives them a few Scriptures that uh, they would have known or would have been able to reference, and he leads them to Jesus and says, listen, 
It is Jesus who gives you forgiveness of sins. It is Jesus who gives you everything, right, which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. He kind of plays maybe a little bit on their sense, which every Jew would have had, the fact that, like, the, the law would have been a burden to them. But he says, I don't want you to, 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 I, I don't want you to overlook the, the warning that the prophet Habakkuk had given about those who God is working in their midst and you completely missed it. When we talked about Stephen right before he was stoned, Stephen, as he went through the history, like in his, his history was a lot longer, but it's kind of, you know, as you go through some of these guys as they're talking to the Jews, um, one of the things that they continue to repeat on is your history. I don't want you to forget or, or uh, overlook the fact that God has been doing certain things in your history, you know, since the beginning. And their beginning depends all the way to Adam or, you know, here he just starts with, with Israel. And I don't want you to overlook that what God is doing right now is still a part of your history. Now, who is Paul eventually going to share the gospel with that you guys, who's, who's he going to share the gospel with? That Peter opened the door to or guide you to. Yeah, he's going to go to the Gentiles, right? And so one of the things, too, that I think Paul is doing is that I don't want you to miss out on the fact that God is working in your midst. And this message is for you specifically, but it's not just for you specifically. <laughs> it's, it's for those who are beyond. And so I think he, he's, he's also kind of laying that groundwork. Like, I don't want you to miss it, but I also don't want you to miss out on the fact that you are not alone in what God is doing. Because if we, we talked about last time that in that earlier message, uh, the verses that I read but didn't kind of go over, was the fact that the main player in those verses is not the judges or not David or not even the Messiah, but it's God. And God is doing all these things, using all these pieces to bring his people to him. And so if we kind of summarize these things, like Paul, Paul and Barnabas, they go to a Gentile city with a large Jewish population. And so their ultimate goal is not to go to a place where there's Jews only, but to go to a place where there's a good population of Jews so they can find some people to start with, but then go from there. And so it's kind of a Gentile population that was formed, you know, it hasn't been around for thousands of years, but it had formed uh, only a few hundred years ago from people from all different areas because it wasn't a uh, very, it wasn't a place that was on a river or it was near a river, but it wasn't on a place that was traveled by very often. And so it was mostly an, a military outpost that had kind of been built up um, by the Romans. And so people were brought from all different areas. And so there's all these Gentiles that are transplants along with this Jewish population that are transplants. And that's where they go to set up shop. They go into the synagogue where they would have maybe had an opportunity to speak. I don't know if they would have known that. Maybe they would have asked that or set that up. But when they got the call to come up and talk, Paul does that. And he takes advantage of that opportunity, right? He goes to the people that he may have some influence in because he is Jewish. If he goes to a Gentile area, he's just one guy you know, that is not from them, you know, not from their background, not a part of them, and he's just somebody, it's a lot, of, a lot more barriers that he has to overcome. He's given a chance to speak, he gives them a history and, and talks about how their history intersects with Jesus and how Jesus can intersect with them personally. And so a call to believe is given to them, but is also a warning as well. And we can kind of pause and stop and think for our own selves, like, you know, when we're given an opportunity, how, how can we 
How can we take advantage of those opportunities? And when we're given an opportunity, what are the things that we say and how do we say them? Um, you know, it wasn't a whole lot that Paul said. And really what we're going to see is that Paul kind of finishes and then he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have like an hour sermon. He doesn't like explain everything in a lot of detail. He kind of like gives them clearly the message and then lets them respond. And so we're going to see in the next set, the last part of verses is that they're going to respond to the responses. We're going to see two different responses uh, to this message. And so verse 42, as they went out, so seemingly he's done, right? He gives them the warning, and then he goes and sits down. Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Okay, how did, how did the people react to Paul's message? What was the word? What was the word say? What's that? Okay, and I would, just be, I would say more than just curious, right? I mean, what are the words that are used? It's more than intellectual curiosity, like, please come back. We'd love to hear more of this, which, you, which you'll get. And when we get to Acts 17, we'll see that the philosophers say, like, you know, let us hear more. You know, please expound to us. But, what, yeah, what is the word that's used? Begged. Begged, yeah. They, they begged to hear more next week. I mean, you can maybe even sense, you know, we don't know the, the, what's going on at the time uh, when Paul, you know, spoke this message. But the fact that somebody is begging to hear more is the fact that, what do you, what do you beg for? What you want. What's that? What you want. What you want, right? What you, what you have a deep desire for, and maybe even something that you need, right? Um, and so, if, so, using that kind of language, that people are yearning to hear what Paul is saying. Like, how can we be freed from the law of Moses? You know... Um, and, we, and we kind of talked about this last time, that even Paul talking about John the Baptist maybe presupposes the fact that they would have known who John the Baptist was. And you see that in a lot of different you know, things that are said, is that um, when he goes up and talks, you know, he doesn't have to explain there's this prophet back in Jerusalem, because a lot of them would have traveled down to Jerusalem for different feasts at different times. And so they would have heard about John the Baptist. They would have heard about Jesus, and we know that even in Cyprus, when Paul explains who these people are, he doesn't give them a lot of background, that he just you know, says, this Jesus. And so, um, you know, for them, it's now kind of hitting them with the reality of, you know, presented with this information about who Jesus is. And so they begged Paul to hear more. Now, who followed Paul and Barnabas? Who, what is the description of those that, that said that were begging to hear more? Okay, so Jews and devout converts to Judaism. So those who were uh, previously not Jewish, right, that were Gentile, who converted to Judaism, who, uh, you know, again, likely would have studied and heard and then made the, the, the decision and, and moved to follow the God of the Old Testament, of the law and the prophets. And so how did Paul and Barnabas respond to them? What did they tell them to do? Yeah, so continue in the grace of God, 
So continue, continue listening, continue hearing, continue following what God has for your life. It wasn't like, you know, let's go down and get baptized right now. It wasn't, you know, it, you know, essentially the message that we see Paul give is kind of like a, you know, maybe like a, a setup for something in the future. Like Paul and Barnabas are coming to maybe, uh, and, and what we'll see in the future is they go to different places until they're pushed out, that they'll stay until they're no longer needed. Um, that they're wanting to probably set up some time to spend with different people and that this isn't kind of like, I'm coming through town, I want you to respond to the gospel, and I'm leaving. It's not, you know, like a big stadium full of people, you know, getting an invitation and then we're on to the next town. And so urging them, continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, so now a week has elapsed. After this, people have kind of settled down, they've thought about what was said, um, and so Paul and Barnabas are essentially, you know, going to get, going to, going to explain more to them. So the next Sabbath, it says, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. All right. So what do you guys think it means by the whole city? Like, who would this include? Yeah, so it says the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Okay, so converts and Jews, and who else? The leaders of the church, well, of the synagogue you're saying? Okay, so true, who else? Missing another group. So those who would have been probably there that likely for the last Sabbath, who you would likely see and hear at a typical synagogue uh, meeting, so who else is kind of added to this? We have the whole city who this also includes. Yeah, so people who are, people who are not church, who we would consider the Gentiles. Um, and so, uh, and we'll see that in a little bit, that there are Gentiles that are going to be there, large crowds gathering around to hear what Paul is going to say. Now, what caused the Jews to contradict Paul? What does it say? Jealousy, okay? Jealous of what? What's that? Yeah, really, they're jealous of the large crowds. So, <laughs> and our crowd is, is uh, quickly, quickly dwindling. <laughs> so, let's see here. We'll, we'll, maybe, we'll maybe pause uh, Pause there. That might be a good good indicator to pause, especially so we can we can turn there. But we'll we'll finish with that. So what caused the Jews to contradict him? Uh, so the large crowds uh, is what they saw, and he says the heart motive really was jealousy. Um, so what would they be jealous of? What's that? They're not okay. They're not in the inn, which which means what? Okay, yeah, a guy just rolls into town, like just came up from, you know, wherever they're at. He's been, been around uh, a week, and huge crowds are coming. Who knows, maybe Paul and Barnabas are handing out pamphlets, you know, like, come to this. No. Um, so huge crowds gather, and then all of a sudden the realization hits them that they're going to lose what? Influence, influence. We saw that exactly happen Back in Jerusalem, that 3,000 people were added to the church didn't really make a difference. Like, they were preaching out near the temple. It was okay. But as soon as, like, the leaders started to see these crowds, started to see 
uh, more people leaving the Jewish church and coming into uh, or le- leaving the, the, the Jewish synagogue and going to the church um, that all of a sudden the leaders are like, whoa, like we need to put a stop to this because they're leaving what we're teaching and going. And this is only like a week has elapsed. Really, no one's left yet, except we see that devout converts uh, are now maybe, you know, I don't know, I don't know what conversations have happened, but maybe they're jumping ship. And so we're going to see that that is going to create some tension. And so we'll finish this up next week and maybe even get to where they head to next. But how can we kind of pause and think about, you know, how this, how this you, know, um, you know, relates to our own lives? You know, again, one, whatever opportunities that we're given, uh, take advantage of them. You know, we have at different times, you have times with family, um, times with friends, times, you know, that you're invited to certain places that other people wouldn't be. And so you're now given an opportunity. When you are given the opportunity like, to speak, well, then take advantage of that opportunity. And when you are given an opportunity to speak, um, you know, if you can, point people to Christ. I'm always amazed. Um, I don't go, we don't go to a lot, but every time I go to a racetrack, I always think it's kind of like a unique place to go, like especially for people watching. And it seems like somewhat of a rowdy crowd. But one of the things, like almost always before a race, they always have somebody pray, right, for the drivers. And the last few, I've just been like really encouraged by the people that are speaking. Like they just give a clear gospel message in their prayer, you know, before they say driver, start your engines. Uh, <laughs> and so, I, you know, it's kind of one of those things that like you're almost like, you know, taken aback as you're kind of looking at people and the buzz and starting the cars. And, you know, this kind of what seems like a pagan event. All of a sudden they're like, well, you pray. And then you have this opportunity. And I don't know, maybe it's because people know I went to seminary, or, but whenever I go to different you know, family events and things like that, you know, a lot of my family is unbelievers, but they always ask me to pray before a meal. It's kind of like the convention. And so you know, I always try to take advantage of that. You know, um, I remember, uh, well, I'll kind of leave with one thing. I was asked to, to, um, to marry a fraternity brother of mine, and I went through counseling with he and his wife, and I hadn't, it was like several years since I had been in college and, um, I don't know, maybe like 10 years. And so a lot of the guys I hadn't seen in a while. And I remember one thing I had said, and it was kind of like I had picked it up from, um, somebody else is that even in, it was in the vows that, you know, like, will you love your wife, you know, sickness and health and kind of those things, but they're a little bit different. But one of the things I said was, um, uh, will you love your wife until either one of you are taken home or the Lord returns? And it was like as quick as that, you know, and they said, I do. And then I repeated it for the husband, you know, I do. Um, and then moved on to the next thing. And I can't tell you, like, probably like half a dozen people asked me about what does that mean when the Lord returns? I wasn't really prepared to, like, answer all the questions, especially, like, during a reception at, at a wedding. But I was really encouraged that I was given a few opportunities to kind of explain and speak at that time. And it wasn't even something that like I realized I had said. But sometimes we say things, right, that you're given the opportunity, you're given a, a position to speak, and maybe even say something that like plants a seed where somebody's like, what did you mean by that? Or what is it that you said? And then now you're given the opportunity to kind of explain and expound more. And I think that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing, that they were just kind of given the invitation, like, I'm a, you know, Jesus. Jesus was here to free you from your sins. Here's some scriptural references you can go to to prove that, you know, the prophets talked about that. Don't follow the prophets, you know, who warned about those who would not listen. And we'll see you next week. And that's kind of where we, we end off. And so we can kind of even think about our own lives. 
about, we don't have to like close the deal, we don't have to like say everything we want to say, but sometimes it's just enough that we can talk about Christ to kind of lay the foundation for maybe some who will want to hear more, but we also see that there are, there are plenty who, who don't want to hear anything else, and so we'll pick up that next week. Do you have something you want to say? Well, I was about to say, <clears throat> all credentials of being a Jew is Jew. Yes. And knowing scripture, and he was known for that, so he was invited in to speak at Yes. So he used that knowledge to, uh, people recognized him, but he went beyond what they thought he was. Yeah, and he used, the, he used the platform that he was given. Not worried about, are they going to invite me to speak next week? You know, he just, but maybe they will. I knew a guy that worked for one of the teams. He said, if you get, get ready to get in the car and go 200 miles an hour with 40 other cars, you'll play too. You'll play too? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll stop there because I know uh, time's short uh, to move to the service. Um,